Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So there's a video. I know, I know. You think I'm going to be a conversation about Silicon Valley Bank. It's going to be a conversation about Signature Bank in New York. It's going to be about whether or not we are witnessing bank collapses. Well, I don't think we're witnessing bank collapses. I think we're witnessing some really bad management. I think we're watching what happens when the regulators don't regulate and banks don't regulate themselves. But while that is happening and while that is going on, there is a video from the New York Post of hundreds of illegal immigrants trying to cross the border from Mexico into the United States. I don't argue that what's happening with this bank is huge news. And I got with uh, Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Man, we went deep. I'm going to share it all with you. I'll share something now. I'll share a whole bunch of it uh, later. So so you have it. You can find it on my Rumble feed, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. It, it is important to understand all the pieces. But you take a look at this, at this video of people ripping out uh, the levels of barbed wire fence, Um, people trying to force their way into the United States. Hundreds, nah, maybe that's a thousand people. So now you've got this situation where you have US Border Patrol in a place where they've got their weapons aimed at people trying to get into the U.S., women and children. Oh, but not just women and children, plenty of men, plenty of able-bodied men. I would love to be able to just break down some basic concepts of what's going on with, with this bank and say that's the news of the day. The problem is when you only focus on that, you don't see the thing happening every day. We become inured to it. It becomes something in the background. It becomes noise. Oh, yeah, that happens. Oh, kids acting up again. You know how they are. Want some more tea? There's no time for tea? This is really ugly. I don't know if I said hello. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Let's start with some basics. This is known as the Bridge of the Americas at the Stanton Lairdo Span, according to uh, Customs and Border Patrol. And they had to implement port hardening measures on Sunday because of a potential threat to make a mass entry. So, for example, barbed wire. Barbed wire. When we think barbed wire and we think about people migration, you think about East Germany. The barbed wire was used to keep people in, not out. But this is the kind of visual that then gets utilized 
by those people who have no interest in the United States having a border saying, look how horrible and terrible and bigoted you are for shame. These are human beings and they have the right to human mobility and how dare you this and how dare you that and look at these poor women and children. Put the women and children aside just for the moment, just for the moment and take a look at the able-bodied men who make their way across the border. Take a look at the able-bodied men trying to make their way. There should be absolutely no one who is able, uh, any man who is able to walk should be allowed into the United States. Where you're coming from is a disaster, I don't disagree. Now go fight for it. If we fight for it, we're going to get killed. I only hope not. I have no interest in sending you to your death. I do have an interest in you actually trying to make your nation better. I don't know why that is considered such an offensive thought. How dare you, Tony? What do you mean, how dare I? Why in the world would we allow, when we talk about Afghanistan, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, for what reason did we have able-bodied Afghans coming on planes? The people who helped the United States military, we made a deal with them, we owe them, we take them. We didn't do that. Women and children? You're not going to see me argue the conversation. By the way, it's amazing at these moments, all of a sudden, we're all fully aware of what a woman is. We're all fully aware of what happens to women who get left behind. We're all fully aware that we treat women and children differently. Just facts. No anger. Don't send me your your sexist feminist rant. Where I was in Fort Wayne, Indiana over the weekend. And I, w- I was going to an event and I drove by, I guess, the Democratic uh, uh, headquarters of, of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they had a sign in the window that said, elect feminists. And I actually said in my car out loud, oh, you mean me? Because I believe men are not women and women are not men and men should not be allowed to take jobs from women. Men should not be allowed to uh, engage, take women out of sporting events. Men should not be allowed to win beauty pageants uh, if, if it's for women. No, 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 no. Whatever the case may be, whether it's jobs, whether it's sports, whether it's, it's other things, I believe that men are men and women are women. They are not uh, interchangeable things and that women should be protected. But yet the left is all about saying men can be women and telling real women, biological women, because I actually am a biologist, amateur, but still I have a degree. And I know what a woman is. So when you tell me to elect feminists, you mean elect guys like me, elect Republicans, conservatives who actually believe that women shouldn't be marginalized in society. I am not marginalizing men from other nations. I'm recognizing that you have to fight for where you live. My fight is different in the United States. I don't actually have to fight with weapons. This, 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 this mouth of mine is the tool. This is what I'm fighting with. Of course I'm fighting, and of course you're fighting. But if the nation were to fall apart, am I prepared to fight? Damn, I hope so. I gotta believe 
No, we don't take in able-bodied men into the United States of America. We don't do it. And yet you look at, the, at these photos. You look at these photos. And they're pushing and they're shoving, doing anything they can to get into the country and screaming at Border Patrol, climbing on top of the bridge, trying to get over. the. I, I always find it interesting when I see people trying to get into the United States. One guy's wearing a Hollister uh, hoodie and the other guy's wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers hoodie. I'm not quite sure how that happens. But these are both able-bodied men. If you are a man who can climb to the top of a bridge, go back and fight for your country. The question, of course, would lead us to, should we as a nation, in a matter of immigration policy, be focused on the idea of helping people fight for their country? It's a very unique question and would require a very, I would argue, big rethink of, of American policy. Our border patrol efforts should not just be focused on the border. They should be focused on the countries that are sending people. What level of trade would you have to restrict to get them to stop? And on the other side, what level of trade should you build to get them to stop? I think it was the president of El Salvador who stated part of the reason that people leave. I mean, that's our fault as a country. We don't have the jobs. We're failing our own people. That's absolutely accurate. So what can the United States do in the uh, uh, explaining the joys of capitalism? What can they do to help these nations build? Well, Tony, a lot of these nations are so far gone because of the drug trade. You want to end the drug trade? I mean, you want to really end it? You want to talk about it? And that's going to have certain short-term effects in nations because that's where the money comes from. So it's going to have, it, it, it's, it's going to annihilate economies for a while. And not every nation is really built to get out there and build themselves. Not everyone is us. But do you want to try? Because what's happening right now is not tenable. So therefore, the situation has to change. We are either going to have a relationship where we punish you for your actions, or we have a relationship where we try and help you rebuild to create a better action, which is less illegal immigration to the United States. And of course, we should recognize that anybody coming from a Latin American country was able to get through Mexico, and we should punish Mexico for their actions. What, we can't punish Mexico? Mexico is just allowed to send people through, and it's our job to deal with it? Nah. I say we blame Mexico. Maybe we shouldn't be the people of Lend-Lease. Maybe we should just let them fail on their own. Well, Tony, you let them fail. You have more and more people at the border. Ah, oh, damn it with you and your realities. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. This is a difficult scene, but it starts with some baselines. It starts with some basics. Able-bodied men are not welcome into the United States. Now, I didn't say they couldn't work in the United States. That is not my argument. I said you're not allowed to stay. You don't get to claim asylum. You go back. 
and you fight. And of course, there can be no real conversation about the border until we state that we have a zero tolerance policy for illegal immigration in general. Only then can we do something legislatively that could bring us a better result. Finally, the the toughest part of this conversation, the part that nobody wants to have, if you have a thousand people pressing to get into the country and pressing on a bridge and ripping apart the barriers of uh, razor wire and, and, uh, and barriers that was erected there as a border, I want you now to tell me why that's not an invasion. I want you to tell me what Border Patrol can do. Can they fire? I'm asking you a question. Can they shoot? And if you'd say no, tell me why not. Because it's inhumane. If Border Patrol cannot protect the border and every action they take is too violent of an action, you are someone declaring you want open borders. I shouldn't say you. They are declaring they want open borders. What do I want? I don't want anybody shot. I want a strong, secure border, and I want an administration that doesn't actually invite people in, and I want to make sure that people like Representative Ocasio-Cortez and other members of the squad are wholly diminished in their radicalness. But if you're trying to break into the country and you're going to push back against Border Patrol, Border Patrol has every right. And the video would be used against them. Next thing you know, they'll be told that they're just whipping people coming into the country willy-nilly, when of course that was a lie, even though Joe Biden didn't give a good holy damn and was willing to go after Border Patrol agents and destroy Border Patrol agents, all because of a photo that didn't tell anything regarding a story. The border is not protected and the border is not safe and the administration is responsible for that. And hard decisions have to get made. And the first rule in a border is that a border protects a nation. The nation has citizens who are deserving of that protection. And the people trying to enter the country, some of whom might be very lovely, are not citizens of the nation. And so therefore, they have to follow the rules. And if they don't, they're not welcome. I'm Tony Katz. Some people try too hard. This is trying too hard. Holy good Lord. This is from Politico, from a non-entity based here in Indiana who uh, thinks himself the, the Indiana reporter. This is hilarious. Inside Pence World's decision to go hard at Trump at the gridiron. What? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. You know, I, I, I like Mike Pence. Uh, he's been very, very nice to me. I, I've had some good conversations with him. We absolutely do not agree on everything, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I am very clear about the fact that 
Mike Pence, he he will probably run because why why wouldn't he? Uh, but he's not going to win uh, primaries and he's not going to win the nomination. What he's going to be is a rather sensational Secretary of State. And the reason he's going to be a rather sensational Secretary of State, as I've made this argument, is that if he's a true believer as he is, and believers in the concept of servant leadership, he wants to serve. And there is a place for that. There's also a recognition post-January 6th, regardless of where uh, the most ardent supporter is of either President Trump or these people who want to scream that he's a traitor. That's not what's taken hold across the nation with him. And we made this argument a couple years ago. He has the opportunity to be, for the Republican Party, the last true statesman. It's the, the demeanor, the approach, how he thinks of his purpose, this concept of servant leadership, all of it leads me to the place where he is not the guy to be president. And I'm here to tell you that there are other people who are way ahead of him in terms of attractiveness. And he's not going to win primaries. He's not going to, I think, place in primaries. He's not going to get the nomination. And I like the guy. On a personal level. Do you guys even know what the gridiron dinner is? This big political dinner? You, yeah. You you're you're amongst the geeks of the geeks if you're if you're aware of the gridiron. That you think it required an entire article about how the Pence world decided to go tough on Trump? Are you insane? You wrote an article for nine of your friends and just desperation for clickbait. Oh, look, Pence is going after Trump. It's happening. What's happening? Where Pence says the administration did great work, where Pence says he's proud of the administration's work. Okay, he ain't happy with Trump regarding January 6th, but he's happy with 100 other things. And you're going to decide, well, that's the thing we can write about. It'll really create some friction. Good gosh. This is what passes for journalism? Oh, this isn't journalism, by the way, just just so we're clear. Anytime you see something from Politico, not journalism. Check, double check, and recheck. And this is from the same guy who was given access to or got access to the military records of a congressional candidate in Indiana named Jennifer Ruth Green running in the 1st District and published those medical records to include conversations of a sexual assault that took place at the hands of an Iraqi soldier that she didn't talk about. He, this so-called reporter, let it loose to the nation. This is the guy writing about Pence and the gridiron dinner. These people are desperate to make January 6th something that matters to you. They're desperate to still believe insurrection, insurrection, insurrection. We get it. It was a riot. We get it. People were invited into the Capitol. We get it. There are questions not answered. And why the hell haven't we seen more video? I mean, seriously, 40,000 hours. I think we've seen 12 minutes. Let's go. More stuff, please. You need somebody else to go through it? I'll take some time. I'll make it happen. Meanwhile, Silicon Valley Bank, what really did go down? Part one of the conversation with economist Matt Will. That's up next. This is Tony Katz today.
By now, you have heard the story of SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank. Now, you may have never heard of Silicon Valley Bank, and that's okay. I was no expert on Silicon Valley Bank either. I didn't know that it was the preferred bank of groups like Y Combinator, which uh, helps with startups. I didn't know that it was a bank utilized by groups like Etsy and many, many other companies and is responsible not only for payroll of those companies where money is going in and out, but also uh, responsible uh, for how a lot of those merchants get paid. The connections to Silicon Valley Bank are really far and wide-reaching. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Uh, The other thing I didn't know about Silicon Valley Bank is how big it was. You hear Silicon Valley Bank, you think it's some little local bank, over $200 billion they were dealing with. And then on one day, last Thursday, the shares went down 60%, and on the next day, it was California. And they're uh, watchdogs, if you will decided that, hey, this bank can't actually be a bank, and trading was halted on the exchange. And the next thing you know, you have got industry leader after industry leader saying, if the federal government does not cover the losses of this bank, the results for all of us will be wholly catastrophic. I mean, that's the words they're using. It, if, if you ever want to see people actually in panic, actually in fear, This is what it looks like from every bit of reporting. Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist at the University of Indianapolis. And sir, let's take a step back here. Talk to me about what what caused this bank to have this, this capital crunch, this cash crunch, and then to have to have its trading halted by the by the exchange. Well, Tony, let me step back and say people have to look at two things. Silver Valley, Silicon Valley Bank is one, and another one called Silvergate Capital. These things go hand in hand. Silvergate Capital had a tragic that happened, tragedy that happened recently, and Silicon Valley Bank is the one that happened just now. The cause is very simple. I've been talking about this since last year, Tony. I'm frustrated that, that people aren't listening. The cause is simply government regulation and the attachment to crypto. We're talking about both, but government regulation is the primary problem here, Tony, And because banks have two kinds of risk. There's two kinds of risk. It's very simple, interest rate risk and credit risk. And we're going to talk about both of those, Tony. People don't realize that's all there is to it. In fact, I could teach an entire course on this. I do teach an entire course on this, but we're going to cover it here just in a few minutes, Tony. And I don't know, you want to start with the interest rate risk or credit risk? It's your call. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, which, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, well, that, that's a different story, but uh, the answer is the chicken. So uh, let's start with the interest rate risk, because, Tony, that's what's happening here. Regulators are idiots. There's this thing called duration. Duration is how – I won't get into the details of it, but it's kind of like how long an, a, a loan lasts, how long a liability lasts. These must match. Your asset duration must match your liability duration. And, Tony, here's what it is in a very simple phrase. Long-term assets of the bank, long-term assets, we're making 4% return. Their short-term liabilities, Tony, cost in about 4.5%. Tony, that's against the law. Some regulator wasn't doing their job. You can't have a long-term investment making 4%, and you're paying for it with a short-term 4.5%. That's not possible, Tony. You're losing half a percent. 
And when interest rates go up in the short term, which they've been doing, that makes the loss even worse. And they're not allowed to do it, Tony. Regulators are supposed to catch this. They're supposed to catch interest rate risk daily. It's monitored daily. It's reported to the government daily. And someone was asleep at the switch. And I don't think it's an isolated case, Tony. I think it's systemic. And that's what has people uh, very, very afraid. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. So which part was that one? You, you had said two things. I want to make sure everybody is clear on which part that was. That's the interest rate risk, Tony. Okay. When you're making 4% on your investments and you're paying 45 that's interest rate risk. Well, and now the risk, other side of this, the, the well. egg part was? The credit risk, Tony. People have to pay back their loans. So when you go to uh, Silicon Valley Bank and you borrow money, you have to put up collateral. You have to put up real assets. This company called Silvergate Capital, they were also having to put up assets when you borrow money. Tony, you and I go into a, to borrow money. We have to have collateral. If you don't pay back your car loan, they take your car. Right. That's a real asset. Banks have been loaning money on crypto. Tony, borrowers own crypto. This is not an asset. It's, it's, it's something that's like, for example, there's this company called a Circle USD coin. It's a stable coin. It's worth 87 cents on the dollar. That's collateral, Tony. Can I use the analogy of gambling? Because that's what it is. Now, sure. don't get me wrong. I'm not against crypto. Crypto is gambling. People can do it. No problem. But it shouldn't be in banks. And banks should, accept it as, should not accept it as collateral. So picture this, Tony. What if you go into a bank and you say, I want a loan. And they say, well, we need some collateral. What assets do you have? And you say, you know what? I made a, I made a bet on FanDuel for next week's football game. Will you take my bet slip as collateral? <laughs> Tony, that's what these banks are doing. So and now I know it sounds funny, Tony, but that's actually what they did. And that bank slip can go, you know, th that bet slip, you bet 200 bucks, it can go up to 400 or down to zero. The difference is with crypto, it can double or it could go to zero too, but it's going to take longer period of time. It's the same thing. So now you've got this investment side and you have this, 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 this credit side, right? You have, you have the issue they had with their investments and the, the issue you had with the collateral they took. Let's go back to this investment side because this gets very, very confusing. The bank holds the money. The bank is making interest on the money. Money is coming in, coming out based on the company. What investments are you referring to that the bank was making that didn't allow them to make money on the money they were taking in and had to pay out more? The investment of a bank is a loan. That's how they make their money. They, make, they give you a loan. They make money off that loan. But where do they get their money to loan to you? They get that from depositors. And right now... Their investments, which are loans to you. I know it sounds confusing, Tony. My students don't even understand this sometimes because we use the words that are confusing. An investment to a bank is a loan. That's how they make their money. That's their assets is loaning you money to buy your house, and they think you're going to pay them back. But, Tony, where do they get that money from? Depositors. Depositors can pull their money in a second. You can walk into that bank and take your money out of the bank. Tony, that's what's happening to Silicon Valley Bank. So now they've got this loan. I'm, I'm going to jump in because okay. I want to I want to follow this my way. One of the things that I had been reading in, in the reporting was that one of the things Silicon Valley was doing, it was about the buying of bonds and the bonds. They weren't paying back at the rate they needed to. Was Is that part of the conversation you're having here? 
It is. That's a separate part of it, though, Tony. And that is that the banks have assets on their they, they own bonds on their balance sheet. These are the things that make them look healthy is they own all these bonds, government bonds, treasury bonds. They own these bonds. They own other bonds. And so when someone walks into the bank and says, I want cash, they say, oh, well, we'll give you your cash. Here you go. But what if they don't have enough cash, Tony? What if they don't have enough cash? They have to sell their assets. They can either sell one of those loans they made or they can sell a treasury bond. You know that free money the government's been giving them, Tony? Mm-hmm. They have to sell it. And guess what? Those prices are down right now. And the government hasn't required them to decrease the value on their balance sheet. Does that make sense? It, 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 it sounds horrifically convoluted they have these bonds they can sell them if they need to get money back to one of their depositors but the bond isn't worth what it was because interest rates have gone up yes tony what probably doesn't sound convoluted you said it perfectly maybe you should be well i didn't know how i i don't know how i got it perfectly but go through that again so tony when people walk into the bank because they're nervous that the bank is going to fail and they say, I want my cash, the bank has some cash sitting around and they'll give them some cash. But if they run out of cash, they've got to sell one of their assets. Tony, they have two basic assets, loans that they've made to various people, and they have treasuries sitting there, treasury bills, treasury bonds that they bought that the government sold them all this easy money over the last few years. They had to sell those at a loss, Tony, because rates have gone up. And the way it works mathematically is when rates go up, bond values go down. So the rates are down, bond values go up. The rates go up, bond values go down. The bond that they bought when the rates were 3% are, is now worth much less now that the rates are at 5 6 and 7%, and they weren't able to catch up with the needs of their depositors. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, you talk about the regulators not catching this. How did the depositors at the bank catch this? Because I have a bank, you have a bank, everybody has has a bank. And now they're asking themselves, what the hell's wrong with my bank? Is my bank about to fold? Do I have to go get my money out on Monday, you know, uh, or or, or today or tomorrow, whatever it is? How, How is it that people notice this bank doesn't have my money? Well, Tony, they found out it by word of mouth. It started back. Tuesday and Wednesday. I know people who are in the finance industry who saw that this bank was not doing things properly and the government wasn't regulating them properly. People saw this last week and there's a massive short sale on the bank. So the sophisticated people knew what was coming. So the short sale comes from the market. I know I'm interrupting, but I want to make sure we're bit by bit. The short sale came from the market because it's a public company and people saw this and said, I don't want any part of this at all. And that's when you started seeing the stock slide and it slid 60% on Thursday before it was shut down on Friday. Yeah, you you said that is correct, Tony. So the the sophisticated investor saw it first, but the the, the main street person who's banking with them, they didn't see it till later because they didn't understand the complications and the problems with this company's balance sheet that the regulators didn't monitor and the regulators didn't see it earlier, but people on Wall Street saw it. Okay, so now we get to how it is that the regulator or the regulators 
didn't see the problem because if you were to look at this politically, I already have every uh, progressive Yahoo in America screaming this is because uh, Trump uh, deregulated the banks and and you got rid of Dodd-Frank and things like that. Does this have anything to do with Trump? And what is it that the regulators missed and how does that happen? Tony, it is the opposite. It's the regulators who caused the problem. And I'll give you a simple example. Um, The number one thing that regulators monitor is this thing called duration, which, again, I said at the beginning, that's where you match your assets with your liabilities. They shouldn't match. Okay. I can give you story after story, personal, firsthand experience of regulators who walk into the bank and say, what's duration? And the banker has to explain it to them, even though it's their number one measurement of risk, Tony. It's the number one way that the regulators measure risk. And the regulators don't even know what it is. Now, I'm not talking Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen. I'm talking a person who walks in and knocks on the door of the bank. I have firsthand personal experience of this. And the reason is simple, Tony. I teach these people. I taught them now. I taught them when I was at Johns Hopkins University. The worst of my students become regulators in the banking industry, Tony. The worst. The best ones are going to work for the banks and for the investment banks and for Wall Street. So you have my worst students going in, not even knowing the definition on a test, and they're regulating the bank. Tony, the people at regulating these banks are the incompetent people. They're not the talented people. And I know they're going to call me and yell at me and send me nasty grams, and I'll give them proof. So, yeah, it was uh, Dr. Will not pulling any punches. I mean, I mean, just wasn't pulling any punches at all in this conversation. Now, this was actually a much longer interview. Two parts If you will, I'm going to share the whole thing with you. Coming up in a little bit, but one of the things we're going to get into in that part two conversation is this idea of bailout, because that's a big part of this conversation. The government's stepping in, depositors with funds at Silicon Valley Bank will be able to access their money as of today. And there are definitely some depositors who should, but If you were somebody engaging in large-scale investment in the bank and you weren't actually engaged in the due diligence of the bank, why am I paying for you? Why are you paying for them? Because you're a moron. There's a difference between the person who was just utilizing the bank for their daily business and the person who was putting and parking all of their money there. There there is a difference in the two things, and we get into that, do Dr. Matt Will and I, economist at the University of of Indianapolis. That is all coming up. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. And all these things we talk about growing up that we learn through suddenly the Ukrainians are fighting for what we've always said we were supposed to stand for. How inspiring is that to you? It's so inspiring to me. And I hope it is inspiring to every American, uh, particularly those in positions to make decisions, because we have to continue, and I would even argue, increase the military support that we give to the Ukrainians sooner. Does that include F-16s? Well, it includes air cover. It includes long-range missiles. It includes much more uh, defensive uh, systems, and not just from us, but from our NATO allies and others. Now, maybe she didn't mean it the way it got said, but I'm pretty sure that Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, never President of the United States, saying that we should put troops in Ukraine. Because if she's talking air cover, one would think she means no-fly zones. 
Wait, does she mean just supplying them planes? Or does she mean flying the planes? What does she say? Is she saying just give them the missiles? Or is she saying control the missiles? The defense systems, the Patriot missile system. That is Hillary Clinton saying war. I know what it's good for. Somebody's pocket. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. It is imperative to understand where America is discussing things. You have to convince them of why we should be involved in Ukraine. I'm still there. We should absolutely be involved in the destabilization of Vladimir Putin and allowing Ukraine not to be overrun. What we have to do is answer the question of what happens next. And we haven't done that. You, you keep hearing me discuss it because it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that we have an entire leadership apparatus that won't say what the end goal is. Here's what we're looking to do. If X, then Y. They can't let us know that. I didn't say timetable. I said end goal. But when you hear Hillary Clinton talk, you're like, wow, man, that is, that is just absolutely like, like untethered in terms of, yeah, oh, yeah, I want the war and bring it on and spend this and spend that. It's awesome. I believe in supporting Ukraine. I'm not a fan of Vladimir Zelensky. I'm not saying it's a great nation. I'm saying that we gain nothing. We actually get hurt if indeed it gets overtaken by the Russians. It's my argument. Her argument seems to be, woohoo, bang, bang, pew, pew. Let's go kill something. Let's go shoot something in the air. What does it matter what it costs? Weird argument. Weird argument from the never-to-be president, Hillary Clinton. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Today.